Friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 1. Uh, we are in part two of our meditation on this first psalm, and we introduced the series last week, um, and we basically explained that Psalm 1 stands as the first book, or the first uh, psalm of the entire Psalter, and it's kind of inviting you, it's welcoming you uh, to come and, and rest and read and delight and meditate on all the psalms. And here's the thing, if you meditate and delight in the Psalms, I mean, you could spend a month in just one Psalm. It was actually a practice of some of the early Puritans a couple hundred years ago to preach 30, 40, 50 sermons on just one Psalm. Uh, We're going to do it in just a few weeks. And so uh, I've decided rather than speeding it up and trying to cover as much as we can in as quick of a time as we can, I'm just going to slow down. I'll be selective. So today we're in Psalm 1. I'll read the whole thing, but we're just meditating on verse 1 alone. And so if you are able, I invite you to stand with me. We stand because it is an act of worship. Our outward posture models our inward posture, and that's receiving God's word with thanksgiving, for he is a God who speaks, and we should be a people who listen. Psalm 1, reading 1 to 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Join me once more as we ask for God's help at this time. Father in heaven, we pray that this time sitting under your word uh, would not merely be uh, educational, uh, for this is not a school lesson, Uh, This is not a seminar. Uh, I pray, Lord, that more than education, we would be uh, fed and nourished uh, because your word is the food we need to eat. And Christ Jesus, you are the water we need to drink. And so help us to feast on you through the preaching now of your word as it's done uh, faithfully unto the people's good and unto your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you may be familiar with the second paragraph, the way the second paragraph of our country's Declaration of Independence starts. Uh, it begins like this. Uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are, were create, are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, And it's a wonderful paragraph, and these rights that we have, they are precious. They should be for all of us. Uh, But what I found really interesting is what our founding fathers knew could be guaranteed and what they knew couldn't be guaranteed. What I mean by that is while you and I have the right to the pursuit of happiness, there's actually no guarantee that you and I will be happy. That's not something that can be assured for us. Who can actually promise you that you'll find happiness in life? Who can actually assure and secure that for you? Now, many of us may have had an experience of great disillusionment where we think something is promising us happiness only to find it disappointing and lacking. I mean, this is kind of the whole ploy and scheme of marketing in our day. Advertisements are never just selling you a product, are they? Advertisements are selling you the happiness that owning a product will give you. 
And we know so often that these are the ploys, and yet we continue to justify our spending because we think, you know, if there's even a chance that me buying this and purchasing this and having this would give me some kind of taste of happiness, then it's worth it. That's why we think to ourselves, man, if I just had this one toy, this one journal, uh, this one gadget, then my morning routines, they would be so much easier. My life would feel organized. I would be happy from the start of the day. And some of us think, man, if I had these accessories, then going to the gym would be more convenient. My workouts would be more efficient. I'd be fit and healthy, and then I'd be happy. And some of us think, man, if I just bought that outfit or those beauty products, then I'll feel pretty on the outside and I'll just be happy. In short, all of us, aren't we just trying to purchase our way toward happiness? Some of us purchase our way toward happiness. We just look at the Amazon truck driver who's always parking in front of your house, always dropping off packages. But, you know, we look for it elsewhere, don't we? We long for happiness that we think can be found in landing the right job or getting that large salary, going on that dream vacation, meeting that right boy or girl, living in your ideal home, having the perfect kids, sending them to a good college. And we chase after these things But the reality is there's no guarantee that having them will make your life any happier, at least not in any kind of real substantial and lasting kind of way. At the end of the day, we all want to be happy. The question is, how do we get it? Now, it's interesting, the Psalms open up with Psalm 1 that actually gives us a portrait of the happy man. And therefore, it's actually an invitation, a promise that you too can be happy. Now, Psalm 1, if we read it, if you notice, the word happy never appears. And so you may be wondering, what are you talking about? We just read it. The word happy is not here. Well, here's what you need to know. Um, We read here at Cornerstone the English Standard Version, the ESV translation, and it's a great translation. We really enjoy it and respect it. Uh, But you have to know that anytime something is translated from one language to another, there's decisions that need to be made. You can't woodenly or literally translate things. You need to consider context and the the language and the culture of the people. Uh, But here's what I want you to know. In Psalm 1, verse 1, the word blessed is the word, the Hebrew word ashray. It's the Hebrew word ashray. Now, Um, it translates this word as blessed. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word blessed, uh, it seems a bit more spiritual, a bit more mature than the word happy. And happy sounds kind of like a flippant. It sounds uh, earthly, even worldly, like, oh, we should desire more than happiness. We should desire blessedness. Like blessedness is spiritual and happiness, you know, that's like, that's that's a pop song, you know, 10 years ago. Like we, we tend to evaluate Uh, one to be more spiritual than the other. But here's the thing. Happiness is a biblical word. Happy is a word that's used in the Bible. Happiness is something that God promises his people. Because that Hebrew word ashray translated as blessed, it appears in another portion of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 10, where the queen of Sheba comes and meets King Solomon and begins talking to him. And she uses the word ashray, but here's how the translators have chosen to translate 1 Kings 10 verse 8. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. And it's an interesting thing here that the translators take that same Hebrew word. In one place, they call it happy. In one place, they call it blessed. Now, that's not a contradiction of sorts. That's just a translation, which means, though, that when we get to Psalm 1, 
verse 1, we can read it as this. Happy is the man. It's a promise and a portrait of what happiness can look like. And the reason that I begin kind of unpacking this simple truth is for this reason. If the Bible is, in fact, God's revelation, uh, the Bible is God's disclosure. He's showing you who he is and what he's done and what he desires for us and what he desires from us. Then the promise of Psalm 1 saying that happiness is something God desires for you says something very profoundly distinct and wonderful about our God. Our God desires our happiness. He takes pleasure in the happiness of his people. The question is, does that actually resonate with some of you? Or maybe some of you are a little uncomfortable with that. You just don't like the word. It makes you squirm a little. It makes you stumble a bit. You know, the New Testament has a wonderful equivalent of this portrait, of this picture. It gives us a glimpse of God's heart in the book of John. In John chapter 2, it's a famous story where Jesus is at the wedding of Cana. And as all good gospel stories go, there's a drama in the story. And the drama in this story is that there's a wedding and people are celebrating the marriage of this, these two people and people are drinking wine and Jesus shows up and we think, oh, there's the drama, like Jesus shows up and everyone starts putting their wine, you know, in brown paper bags and like everyone's hiding it from Jesus. But that's not the drama at all. The drama is Jesus shows up and we find out that the wine is running dry. The party is in danger of ending early. And so Jesus is actually the first person they go to. And his mother goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, here's the problem. And what does he do? He doesn't stand up in front of everybody and give a sermon on the dangers of alcoholism. He doesn't stand and give a charge on how you should be uh, mindful of, you know, your Christian liberty or how you shouldn't engage in earthly fleeting, you know, pleasures. He doesn't say, everyone, you know what, this is a sign, go home, you all have synagogue tomorrow. Like, he doesn't say that. They come to Jesus with a problem, and what does he do? He turns water into wine in order to keep the party going. And it's a very interesting story given to us. It's the very first miracle of Jesus, and it's surprising because it smashes the caricature that many of us have of God that he doesn't want us to have any fun in life. He doesn't want us to have joy. He doesn't want us to be happy. I think of a lot of us with the caricatures we've made of God, if we were to rewrite the story, it would be something like this. Jesus shows up at the party and people are drinking wine and then he snaps his fingers and all of a sudden the wine turns into water and it's a dry wedding. And everyone's like, what the heck happened? Like, that's how we view God. That's how we view and understand and think about the things he wants. But what actually happens? Water is turned to wine the party and the festivities and the celebration to keep going. And it's a glimpse of the very heart of God that he desires the happiness, the joy, the blessedness of his people. And yet there's a caveat, of course, because the happiness and the blessedness that God desires for his people needs to be understood on God's terms, not ours. Because the happiness that the Bible talks about isn't found when you do whatever you want to do and you live however you want to live. Happiness, the Bible says, is found when you are walking according to God's law and following his Torah, his word, his instruction. Here's the main point of our sermon, the one sentence kind of nugget to meditate and digest on. 
Your happiness requires your holiness. Your happiness requires your holiness. You see, when the psalmist begins and explains who that blessed happy man is, he doesn't begin by saying the happy and blessed man does whatever his heart desires to do. In fact, how does it begin? It begins with three things the blessed man avoids. Three things that he keeps away from so that he stays on the path of holiness. We read this in verse one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The Bible is offering a very important corrective. You want to be happy in life? It's not in pursuing whatever you want. You want to be happy in life? It's in staying away from these three things. It's very, very maybe offensive or surprising to us because as Americans, we have this notion that to be happy, to be truly happy, um, there can't be restrictions placed over our lives that everything has to be yes for us. There's this prevailing notion uh, that to be happy, you need to follow your heart and your dreams without hindrance. And as soon as there's a shackle placed over you, as soon as the door is shut, we feel like, oh, that's a hindrance, that's an obstacle. How can we be happy? But biblical blessedness or the happiness God has designed you for is a holy happiness. Because God created us, he knows ultimately That to live a life that's unholy is to live a life that's unhappy. He's our designer. He's our architect. He has the blueprints of our hearts. And he knows when we pursue after sin and we walk contrary to his ways, we're actually moving away from blessedness and we are on the path toward cursedness. Now, you got verse one here. And it seems at first like the psalmist is just kind of saying the same thing three times, that he's kind of repeating himself. But he's not being repetitive. He's actually showing a progression or an escalation, that there's actually an increase going on here. So the first thing we read is uh, the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked are the words and the influence of the ungodly people around us, tempting us, inviting you into the gossip, right? Spreading slander, giving you advice contrary to God's word. And the thing is, when you listen enough to the counsel of the wicked, you begin to believe the lies they're speaking. Their lies become your truth. And then he goes one step further, and he talks about the way of sinners. And this gets a little bit more serious, because in the way of sinners, you begin joining them in their actions. You conform to their conduct, and before you know it, you're behaving as they behave, you're doing as they do, you're participating in their sin. So you go from hearing to actually doing. And finally, you get to the seat of scoffers. And the seat of scoffers means you're seated, you're seating, and you're numbered among that group of godless mockers. It's an it's a image of permanence. Um, so some of you may remember this. In the book of Genesis, there's a wicked, evil, great city. It's called Sodom. And uh, earlier we had read in Genesis that Abraham and his nephew Lot need to separate ways. And so Lot, his nephew, starts going east a little bit toward Sodom. So he starts kind of walking toward Sodom. And the next thing you know, he's in the city of Sodom. But the way Genesis 19 tells us in the final scene, we read this in Genesis 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Now, why is that important? Because to sit at the gate in the ancient culture meant that you were one of the elders of the city. You were one of the people that that others listened to and looked up to. And so to sit in the seat of scoffers is now to 
Uh, it's a sign of permanence. You are associated with the ungodly. You are numbered and counted among them. And so what is the psalmist doing? He's showing you this progression of spiraling deeper into sin. Here's one way to think about it. At first, you believe the things that the tempters say, and then you begin to behave the way that sinners do. And finally, you begin to belong to the same company as the evil. So there's this like increasing slow progression, or maybe put it another way. You receive the advice of the wicked, and you begin to listen to their counsel. You participate in the actions, and you become guilty yourself. And lastly, you become an associate. You join them in their mockery. And what the psalmist is saying is the path to blessedness is a path that refuses this slow trajectory going down this path that he calls in verse 6, the way of the wicked. A path toward holiness is saying no to this slow seduction that leads you further and further away from God. Now, here's the thing. Um, if you're a Christian and you're hearing this, um, I, I've met very few Christians who have told me outrightly, like, I am going to sin against God. Like, very few people intentionally decide in their heart that they're going to sin against God. But obviously, they end up in sin. So you're like, what the heck happened? How did you get there? And it's not because they intentionally made a decision to sin against God. It's because over time, they slowly drift towards sin. Why? Because it's not like they're saying, I'm going to sin, but they're saying, I'm trying to find happiness. I'm trying to pursue blessedness in my life. And so they start walking down the path they think will lead to them being happy, will lead to some kind of joy or fulfillment or significance or purpose or meaning in their life. And so their hearts, our hearts, which are meant to point true north to God, it becomes magnetized by sin. And if you've ever magnetized a compass, you know that it becomes wonky, that it no longer points north. And so our hearts in the same way are thrown off, they're skewed. So they're just kind of left to ourselves. We start drifting and we're looking for happiness in all the wrong places, in all the wrong people, in all the wrong things. I mean, can I get a witness? <laughs> Is there anybody among this group that can testify, that's been my experience. I felt exactly that, that you go down every road except the right one. And we fall off the path of holiness because, as verse 1 says, we begin walking, standing, and then sitting in the way of the wicked. The sad irony is that all of us, we're on a search in this life for blessedness. We're on a search for happiness but without knowing better, we end up on the path leading to cursedness. So the psalmist warns, if you pursue and live an unholy life, you will end up with an unhappy life. So what does this mean for you and for me? It means the path of happiness is not saying yes to every sin and temptation that comes your way. The path to happiness is actually saying no that which is going to steal your heart away from God. The path of happiness is saying no to that which is going to draw you away from God and his law and his precepts, his instructions, his word. Why? Because the law of God wasn't given to restrict, squash, or steal away your joy and freedom. The law of God was given to protect and to preserve your joy and freedom, your happiness in the Lord. 
And so what do Christians need to do? We need to be vigilant because there is a slow seduction that takes us down this path. It's not instant. We don't just transfer over, but inch by inch, compromise by compromise, association by association. My dear friends, what are those areas in your life that are taking you by the hand and slowly leading you like a lamb to the slaughterhouse down the path of wickedness? Dear friends, who are the people in your life who are surrounding you, tempting you to sin, causing you to stumble, feeding you ungodly counsel, encouraging you toward wise, unwise decisions? Dear friends, where are those places that you know if you go there, the chances of you falling into sin increase a thousandfold? And when are those times of day that you know if you're alone, you will fall into great temptation? We need to fight against this slow seduction towards sin and temptation. And what the psalmist does, if you remember, the psalmist is not giving you a logical argument so that you can analyze it and understand his strength. What the psalmist is doing is painting a picture and he's using the power, as any good poet does, the power of image and metaphor to draw you in to make his point. And so it's very interesting, uh, not only what he says in terms of the counsel of the wicked and the way of sinners and the seat of scoffers, but he actually gives you three verbs. He talks about this progression in terms of walking and standing and sitting. It's like anyone who's ever battled a midnight craving knows exactly what this is like, right? You ever eat like dinner really early, you're trying to be responsible, uh, but then you're in bed, it's like midnight and your stomach is growling because you're so hungry. And you're telling yourself, like, it's not worth it. You're already washed up. You're already in bed. Don't get up. You can wait till tomorrow. And, you're, and your stomach is screaming at you, like, are you kidding me? Feed me. Like, what are you doing? And so you're battling. And the next thing you know, you find yourself walking toward the kitchen. <laughs> and you haven't lost yet because you haven't eaten yet, but you're walking toward the kitchen. You could turn around, but walking never hurt anybody. So you're standing now in front of the fridge. And the only thing separating you and what your stomach is promising will bless you is this door. And you're like, a door isn't open. Maybe I could just get a smell. And so you open it a little bit. And what do you end up doing? You end up sitting at the table, stuffing your face, telling you regrets will wait till the morning. What are we doing? The slow seduction of walking and then standing and then sitting. And this is how sin begins to work. And as you follow this path, if you're not vigilant against it, what ends up happening is that we begin pursuing the path of the wicked. And we're headed down the destination of cursedness instead of blessedness. The Puritan Thomas Brooks wrote this. He says, holiness is happiness in the bud. Happiness is holiness at the full. Happiness is nothing but the quintessence of holiness. My prayer in preaching Psalm 1 for you this morning is to offer you this perspective, to tell you and warn you, the lie of Satan says that your happiness is found in saying yes to sin. But the promise of God is found in saying no to sin and yes to holiness. But this is where we come across the great problem, the bad news for us. Because if happiness comes from holiness, then what hope do we have? Because by nature, we're unholy people. By nature, we're sinful people. You and I, far more than we want, end up walking in the way of the wicked's counsel. 
and standing in the sinner's way and sitting at the seat of scoffers. Like if your happiness is based on all the choices you make, then you and I will never be blessed. We'll never be happy because you and I constantly look for happiness in all the wrong places and in all the wrong people and in all the wrong things. So what hope is there for us? Because Psalm 1 may give you, it may inspire you toward the vision of pursuing blessedness and happiness, but Psalm 1 can't give you the power. Where does the power come from? Not from ourselves, but from God. Because you see, God intervened into the situation. God desired and delighted that you might be happy. And so he made a way for you to be holy. You see, the gospel is the good news of God's grace that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. Knowing that the obstacle from you and happiness is this problem of your unholiness, he came to address that. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That God sent his one and only son to cover us, to forgive our sins, and to give to us a righteousness that's not our own so that we might be holy. And in being holy, we might be happy. You see, dear friends, if it's only in Christ Jesus that you can be perfectly happy, it also means it's only, if, if you can only, it's only in Jesus that you can be perfectly holy. It's only in Jesus that you can be perfectly happy. There can be no happiness found outside of Christ. And the gospel is this wonderful news that God loved you so much. He was willing to give up his one and only son for you to make you holy so that you might be happy in him. After all, Jesus was the only one who lived the perfect holy life. He's the only one who experienced the perfect happy life. For we know Christ Jesus himself didn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Christ Jesus himself did not stand in the way of sinners. Christ Jesus did not sit in the seat of scoffers. And yet he took the punishment of the wicked and took the curse of the sinners and exchanged places with the scoffers so that the, the seat they sat in would one day be a seat next to him at his banquet table as he endured the scoffing of mockers as he was led to the cross to die for our sins to make us holy. Why? so that we would finally experience the blessedness there is in the Lord, the happiness that comes from God alone. So dear friends, I ask you, how will you be blessed and happy in this life? What are those things you are chasing after? Are you looking in all the wrong places? Are you looking at all the wrong things? And are you looking to all the wrong people? Look no further than Jesus. Say yes to him and you will find great joy in his happy holiness. Pray with me.